So I have to follow that. <laughs> Man, my goodness. I need to talk to Lauren about this order of service. That is not so good. Carolina Harmony Chorus Bridge, can we give them a big round of applause? <clears throat> Thank you guys so much for being here with us. Y'all don't know this about me. I love Christmas. And so that just, my Christmas spirit is pinging. It is in the red. Just love you guys. Appreciate y'all. I, uh, I actually wore black today. My intention was to stand with the group. Lauren specifically asked me not to do that. So I've honored that request. But anyway, man, you guys did fantastic. Thank you for being here. Uh, real quick, before we get into the sermon, I, I wanted to share just a, on a funny note, I wanted to share a story with you. Uh, my son, he's two years old, Landon, and he, when he knows what to say, he, he likes those situations. So, for instance, when somebody says, thank you, and he, welcome, he just, he knows what to say when he's got a part, nails it. And so when someone sneezes, my son is on it. Bless you. And then he always says their name. Bless you, daddy. Bless you, mommy. Bless you, Mason, and so he gets, uh, he, he gets it, he, he's really good at doing that. Uh, about two weeks ago, we were at home, Nicole wasn't there, I was, I was in charge of the kids, but I wasn't paying attention super well, they were watching TV, they were fine, they were fine, I promise, you got, they were fine, but so what had happened was, Landon sneezed, and in hindsight, I saw him do it, and I didn't really think about it in the moment. But he sneezed, and then I see him kind of look around. <laughs> and Mason, my oldest, when TV's on, boof, he is zoned in. And so it, it was up to me. I was on my phone. And so about 15, 20, maybe 30 seconds later, I hear very sarcastically, I had no idea that was possible at two, but I hear Bless you, me. <laughs> Y'all, he's full of his mama. Pray for me. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Sometimes you're going to have to bless yourself. Sometimes if, sometimes if Christmas is not merry, you got to do what you got to do to get it merry. This was a good start. And I'm going to tell you, uh, I want to reiterate what Pastor Ivan said. Being here Tuesday at 3 is going to be another fantastic opportunity to have a merry Christmas as we uh, zoom in on the real reason for the season, as we look at Jesus Christ and the fact that uh, heaven came to earth to save us and the fact that uh, he is fully God and fully man and he came here for us. And so uh, last week, we, I, I talked to you from Isaiah 9-6. We're going to go back there today. We talked about the names of Jesus. And uh, one of the things that happened was in, in Isaiah 9-6, there are these several names that Isaiah tells us that would be true of Jesus. And I use the example of a diamond. When a diamond is cut well, no matter which angle you look at that jewel from, because it is multifaceted, it is designed to catch the light. It is designed to glimmer and sparkle and shine regardless of what side you look at it. It's not like our Christmas trees. Have you guys noticed that? The front of the Christmas tree? Pristine. 
the back of the Christmas, there's a reason you put it in the corner or you hide it. Well, no matter which direction you look at Jesus, no matter which direction you look at a well-cut diamond, pops. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it, you just adore that. And so I talked about uh, how Jesus is multifaceted and to look at him from different angles is to just appreciate his beauty. But I got caught up in the sermon and sometimes I do that. And so I caught myself last week. I said, the multifacetedness of Jesus. Some of y'all are laughing because you heard that last week and you're like, that ain't right. And I looked, and at that particular moment, I looked to my right, and there was Miss Rebecca Whitman, and she is a college English teacher, and she was in the house, and I thought, if I don't acknowledge that that probably is not a word, I'm going to lose all credibility. And so I just made mention of the fact, you know, that's probably not even a word, but I'm preaching good. And so we just kept rolling. And then Brother C.J. Weaver was in the house, and he went home and looked it up. None of the rest of y'all cared about me. None of the rest of you had my back. You didn't even think about it after that because I played it off so well. Brother C.J. went home, looked it up, found out it was a word, sent it to me, and I feel totally vindicated. And I want to talk to you today about the multifacetedness of Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6. Let's get to Scripture. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. To us. Jesus came for you and for me. He came for these people that Isaiah pinned this to initially. He came for all of humanity. To us. Those, those descriptions right there. To us a child is born. That speaks of the humanity of Jesus. Jesus came as, a full, as fully human. But the next part. To us a son is given. He also came. That speaks of the deity of Jesus. He was fully God as well. Fully man. Fully God. Nothing like the world had ever seen before. And so that's why it could say, and the government will be upon his shoulders. This wasn't to be a government like you and I know government. This was to be a kingdom economy that was going to come to earth. The kingdom of heaven. That's why in the Lord's Prayer we pray, and Lord, as it is in heaven, so it be on earth. That, that This idea that heaven has now come to earth. And then here's the names. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Read that last one with me. Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. You guys did awesome right there. Just need to acknowledge that. Now, last week I made mention of the fact that Isaiah penned this prophecy almost 800 years before Jesus was ever born. 750 or some change is what most theologians, we're just rounding up, sounds better, almost 800 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah penned this prophecy. So that was Old Testament, now we're going to the New Testament. Now it's that night. So fast forward with me in your mind, now it's that night, and there are shepherds in the sheep, in the, in the fields nearby keeping watch over their sheep. It was a normal night. It, it was just like every other night that had ever happened. But all of a sudden, something amazing happened. Something inexplicable. Something divine. Heaven came to earth. And Scripture tells us uh, an angel appeared. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Here's what it says. 
The angel tells them, do not be afraid. You don't have to fear. The reason why, if you'll notice in the New Testament, when an angel showed up, the, the first thing the angel would often say was, don't be afraid. Because all of a sudden, it's night, and then, boom, there is an angel in front of you, shining bright, just it captivates you. What in the world is about to happen to me? And here is this angel, and he says, do not be afraid. And he continues, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. I, I come with exciting news. I come with good news, and it's going to cause great joy when people hear it. Okay, what is that news? Verse 11, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. You guys know the one that Isaiah told you about hundreds of years ago? You know the one that the prophets have been proclaiming for, for hundreds of years? That Savior, He's here. He's on earth. Now's the time. This is the day. And so it keeps going. Verse 12. This will be a sign to you. Here's how you'll know. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So there was the good news. There was what they came. And now all of a sudden, verse 13. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying. So now it's not one angel. All across the sky, there are all these angels, heavenly host. How many is that? We don't know. Hundreds, thousands. We have no idea. A heavenly host shows up and they start singing this worship song. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God. And it keeps going. And on earth, read that part with me. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Awesome. Peace on earth. Good news that's going to cause great joy. Part of that is there is going to be peace on earth. Well, the amazing part of that is you and I know that ever since then, there has been peace on earth. You know that Christmas is the most peaceful time of the year. It's amazing. You know that when your family gets together, there is no drama. Everybody gets along great. Your gifts are big hits. It's amazing because there's peace on earth. You guys are laughing. Some of you caught the joke early. The reality is that's not true at all. There's not peace on earth. I looked in the news this week. This week, a Russian spy ship was spotted off the coast of the Bahamas spying on us. This week. We're not actively at war, but there is not peace on earth. Or else the Russians would be in Russia, all the Americans would be in America. There is not peace on earth. There's not peace in our government. If you keep up with the news at all, you know. And I, I'm not here to declare a side. I don't want you to pick a side. At least don't tell people in church. But you know, our governing authorities, our governing leaders, they didn't spend these past few weeks governing. They were fighting about impeachment. No matter which side you were on, they weren't governing. They were fighting. There is not peace in this world. There is not peace on Capitol Hill. And the reality is for a lot of us, at times, there's not peace in our homes. There, there's not peace in our lives. 
I don't know the intricacies of what's going on in your world, but I'll just tell you for me, it's been, it's been tough lately. It's been kind of difficult. Three months ago, I lost my grandmother. She battled for eight years with Alzheimer's. Just that is a horrible, horrible thing. And the last year especially, it was, it was so hard uh, to be around her and to see how much she had slipped and how hard simple things had become for her. But yet, even still, when she passed, w- there was an excitement that she didn't have to be in pain anymore. But then the finality of, that chapter's over. So three months ago, I lost my grandmother. Three weeks ago, I lost my dad. Massive heart attack. 57 years old. Had no idea that was coming. I say that because, again... I don't know what you're dealing with, but I know life can be heavy sometimes. I know just in our church, in these past few months, there have been several families that have dealt with death on a very close level. There have been several people who have lost loved ones or who are remembering loved ones that were lost earlier in the year. Life can be tough sometimes. So what happened to peace on earth? Right? Isn't that what the angels, the heavenly hosts, isn't that what they told the shepherds peace on earth? Well, the reality is that first Christmas wasn't all that peaceful either. You've got this poor teenage girl who is trying desperately to convince her parents, the people in the town, and especially her fiancé, oh, no, 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 this is a virgin pregnancy. I didn't do anything wrong. She was absolutely right, but it had never happened before. So you can imagine the comments people made. You can imagine the looks that she got. You can imagine the lack of peace that she was dealing with in her world. The first Christmas wasn't peaceful because at nine months pregnant, it was issued a decree that there was to be a census taken, and that census required Mary and Joseph to travel to Bethlehem. (laughs) That is incredibly stressful for a woman who is nine months pregnant. And it's incredibly stressful for Joseph too. I'm just here to tell you. My wife has been pregnant. And at nine months pregnant, it was just like, we're ready to have this baby. Call the doctor. It is time. So they had to go. Not only that, there is no hospital. There are no doctors or nurses on call. There's no ambulance. There's no bed. There's not even a room. They were out back in the stables. The baby was to be wrapped and put in a manger. There there was no pain medication. There was no epidural. Mary felt the full effects of the pain of delivering that child. Somebody stop me when I get to the peaceful part. Because I don't think we're there yet. It keeps going. Herod, who was the king at the time, he found out, he heard that a a, a new king had been born. That a baby had been born and he was to be a new king. Well, Herod, like most people in power, was jealous for that power. He, He was jealous to try to hold on to that power. And so he did the unthinkable. He couldn't find the exact child, so he issued a decree that every child, every baby boy under the age of two had to be killed in that area. Every child, every baby boy under two. It's known as the massacre of the innocents. 
That first Christmas wasn't peaceful. So, so here's the honest question. How do you reconcile Jesus came to bring peace on earth with all of those things? What's happening in our world? What's happening in our lives? What even happened that first Christmas? How do we reconcile all that? If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, did he fail? Did he get to earth and all of a sudden it was too hard for him because now all of a sudden he's not just fully God, he's fully human as well? Did he fail? No way. Absolutely not. I mean, remember, he is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is eternal father. The key to understanding what's happening here is to go back to the Hebrew, to look at that name. Because in seeing that name for what it really is, we will understand more. I shared with you last week that that name, Prince of Peace, that is a Hebrew couplet. That means those names go together. To understand what kind of counselor Jesus was, you have to understand he was the wonderful counselor. Those, those names go together. It's a compound name. Well, the same is true with Prince of Peace. That word prince in the Hebrew is sar. Sar. And here's what it means. It means the one in charge, lord, chief, or general. <clears throat> the one in charge, lord, chief, or general. So for the Romans, in, in their military uh, setup and with their ranks, a general was called a sar. That's how prevalent these terms were. Even in our world today, there's a derivative of that word, czar, C-Z-A-R. It means the supreme ruler of a country. You still see czars even in power today. So he is czar. He's the one in charge, lord, chief general. That's the prince, but he's also peace. Prince of peace. And that word is shalom. It means rest, wholeness, completeness. So to understand the Prince of Peace, you have to take it with both of its parts. He is the one in charge of rest. He is the Lord of wholeness. He is the chief of completeness. He is the Prince of Peace. He is Sar Shalom. So understanding the name is the solution. I want to come back to that in just a moment. But first, let's make sure we're on the same page about the problem. So I'm just going to go for it. The root problem, the root of my problem is sin. The root of my problem is sin. And I want to be so bold this morning as to tell you what your problem is. Because you got a problem, especially some of you. The root of your problem is sin. The root of humanity's problem is sin. Here's what we do. Oftentimes when we aren't experiencing peace, we want to deal with it on an external level. We want to deal with it on a superficial level. So we say things like, if you see somebody who's stressed out, if you'll notice, one of the, they'll say things like, you know what, I just need to go get in a good workout. I need a drink. I need to just play some video games, blow some steam off. I need to get my mind off of this. Whatever method of coping they use, most oftentimes what that person is dealing with 
is just the externals. But real peace requires us to go to the root of the problem. And that root is sin. Now notice I didn't say sins. Sins plural. It's sin. It's the sin nature. you got to understand, sin is not losing your cool and blowing up. Sin is not getting drunk. Sin is not telling a lie. Those are the result of sin. They are sins. They are sins. I realize that may seem like a small distinction. It's like, Pastor Andrew, come on. Aren't you splitting hairs? I want to show you a verse that, that highlights this difference. It's 1 John 1, 8 and 9. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, it says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We have a sin nature. You and I have a proclivity towards evil, towards sin, a proclivity away from God. We, there is sin in us. And here's the result of that. If we confess our sins, uh, plural, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's what I'm saying in general. That sin, that, that deep-rooted sin is an attitude. It's an attitude that says, I want His shalom. I want God's peace. I want God's financial blessings. I want His health. I want the best God has for me. Who's with me? Yeah. I want all that God is willing to give me, but I want to be sore. I want to be the one in control. That's what sin tells us. That's what the attitude sin makes us act out in. I want his shalom, but I want to be sore. And again, the root problem isn't sins, it's sin. It's an attitude that says, you know what, I can handle this. I know what's best. I don't want to know what God says to do. I'm not going to read His Word. I'm not going to come to church and hear sermons like this. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to ask God for direction. Because I wouldn't want to listen to it anyhow. I know what I want to do. I want to be the one in control. And when we do that, we might deal with the sins, uh, but we haven't dealt with the root problem. We haven't dealt with the sin sin nature in us and so we have a sin making factory it is a conveyor belt and we are spitting them out baby one sin after the other because we've not dealt with the root problem or or here's another analogy the fruit and the root you can pick all the fruit off the tree and do something with it but if you don't do something with the root what happens give it some time more fruit will come back. Give you a story to illustrate this. So when I was growing up, we used to love to go spend time with my grandpa. Grandpa and grandma, me and my sister. And uh, my grandpa and my grandma, they grew up during the Great Depression. They were born during the heart of the Great Depression. And so that heavily influenced their childhood growing up. And so they, two things were at play. There was this tension. And looking back, I can see it so clearly. 
One, they wanted to give us as grandchildren, they wanted to spoil us. They wanted to give us all the things that they never had and all that. And so we would get, it was so fun. We'd get, the, the hit, Papa had a boat. He had a house at the river. He would take us to Emerald Point. We would get to do all this fun stuff. Go out for random ice cream cones in the middle of the afternoon. It was like, yeah, we love Papa's house. What kid wouldn't? But here was the tension. Papa also thought, man, but kids are supposed to work. Like, you're, you're just, you're not going to raise a good kid if you don't make them work. And so, consequently, when we would go to their house on weekends or for a week or two during the summer or whenever we were with uh, Grandma and Grandpa, we always had to do some kind of work. Whether it was weeding the flower bed or they had a bunch of blueberry bushes. So you're out there picking the blueberries early in the morning so it's not too hot. And you're, that There was always things they wanted you to do. One thing that we always got tasked with, with as grandkids was we had to cut back the monkey grass. How many of you know what monkey grass is? Can I just see your hands? I have never thought of there being an evil plant. But it, it's horrible. It, it's horrible. And I have all these memories as a child. You would have to put on some long sleeves. And then you would have to put on gloves. And then because my grandfather was a Johnston County redneck, he had some old scissors that were too dull for the house, but they were fine for gardening. So we weren't pruning with like pruning shears. We're out there with some old scissors. So you would take some of the monkey grass, pull it back, and you Papa, these scissors, keep cutting. So there we go. We would cut that monkey grass back. We would get it looking good, cut it back. And I'll never forget, a few months later, we would go back. Ah! It's back. Are you kidding me? And so then a few months later, we're out there. You know, there we go again, and we're just cutting. Well, a couple years ago, uh, my grandpa decided, you know what, I don't want to deal with that. And these were big bushes. These were by a driveway, so they were kind of a statement. You know, they, went, they needed to be a certain size. They needed to look good. So a few years ago, my grandpa decided, you know what, I'm too old to mess with that stuff. Translation, all my grandkids are too old for me to make them cut this monkey grass back. And so he said, I'm, I'm going to burn it, and then, Andrew, I want you to come over, and we're going to dig up the root. So we did. A couple years ago, I was over there with the shovel and the axe, getting the root of that monkey grass out. It, I mean, it was huge. Do you know something? There's not been monkey grass ever since, because now the root of the problem had been dealt with. Now there was no more monkey grass that kept coming back a few seasons later, a few weeks later, a few months later. The monkey grass was gone. Well, the same thing happens in us. Until we acknowledge the root of the problem, there will be no peace. Here's what Jesus said in John 8, 34. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Do you see the distinction there? Everyone who sins... You have fired up the conveyor belt and you are a sin-making factory. There is a root of sin in you. That's pretty depressing. 
That's pretty tough. It's like, man, well, I don't want to be like that. The good news is Jesus did something about it. And I want to show it to you. Romans 6, 1 through 4. Romans 6, 1 through 4. says this. This is Paul. The Apostle Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. I love the King James there. It says, God forbid. Should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound? God forbid. The New King James says, certainly not. Don't you even think about that. So the first few chapters of Romans, Paul lays out this groundwork. Everybody, I don't care how good you were. I don't care how much you kept the law. I don't care how good you think you are. You are a sinner. Uh, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he lays out this groundwork. We're all sinners. Every one of us. And then he goes, but it's not all bad news. Jesus came that we might be forgiven. There is grace available to us. So then Paul, anticipating where their minds would go, okay, well, if Jesus will forgive, man, we're going to keep on sinning. I'll just keep on doing the wrong thing. I'll show up at church on Sunday. We'll get that thing handled. And then I'll be good to go. Clean bill of health for the next week so that my sin-making factory can keep on rolling. Romans 6.1 What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. God forbid. Here it goes. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? can't live in sin. We're dead to it. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now I know this is deep, but follow with me because we're almost done, okay? In the New Testament times, when Romans was written, the the act of salvation and baptism were so close together. Once you were saved, you were baptized. So they thought of it as just one big event. Saved, baptized, saved, baptized. So Paul addresses them like they are one event. They're in fact two distinct events, but that is the next step. Once you are saved, once you know Christ is your Savior, you should be baptized. Well, baptism is metaphorical. Baptism has imagery to it. And what Paul is describing here in verses 1 through 4 is he says that when you go under that water, you and I couldn't live underwater. We would not make it. If the pastor held us down long enough, which we don't, don't get worried. <laughs> Heard one pastor, he had a joke, I'll hold you down until you say tithe, then we bring you right back up. It's not, we don't do that, that's what one pastor, anyway. <clears throat> What was I talking? Oh, baptism is symbolic. I felt like there were some people that didn't like that joke, so I got a little scared. Baptism, there is an imagery to it. When you go under that water, that is a picture of death. When you come up out of that water, that is a picture. It is imagery of new life. That just like Christ died on that cross, was dead and buried in a tomb, but on the third day, what did He do? He rose Again, and when you come out of that water, dead to sin, alive in Christ. Uh, You'll hear me say that sometimes. If you've ever been to the baptism services, dead to sin, alive in Christ. 
We don't have to keep on sinning. It doesn't have to have mastery over us. We can be dead to the power and really the dominion of sin. Well, verse 11, so just a few verses later, we stopped reading at verse 4. Keep on going down to verse 11. Paul reiterates this same point. I love this verse. You should underline it. It's one of my favorites. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. We can count ourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. Does that mean that I'll never face sin? Does that mean that I'll never be tempted? Does that mean that I'll never mess up and sin again? No, absolutely not. But I am free. Once you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, once you are walking in relationship with Him, you and I, we are free from the power and dominion of sin. Amen? That's good news. Good news that would bring great joy. And that's it right there. Here's the bottom line. Jesus came to bring freedom and peace. He came to bring freedom from the power and dominion of sin. He came to bring peace to this earth. But here's the question. Here's the question. Everybody look at me. Lean in. I'm almost done, I promise. Here's the question. Is he in charge? Is he in charge in your life? Because those words, they go together. No no prince, no peace. No sar, no shalom. As a matter of fact, when we don't acknowledge Jesus as our Savior, when we don't allow Him to call the shots in our life, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, I'll take that steering wheel. I got it. But then I'm responsible for my own peace. I, I can control about that much in my life. I can control my actions and my attitudes, and that's about it. There is a lot I don't control. I would shudder to think that I am in charge of my own peace. Church, I'm going to tell you, if you find yourselves with a lack of peace this Christmas, the best thing we can do is say, Jesus, take this steering wheel. I need you. Because he wants to be prince of peace for you too. He he wants to be, he wants that shalom to be yours. But the only way we can access it is to allow him to be sar. Not because he's on some power trip, but because he knows what's best. If you've had children, you know there are things your kids want to do that as parents you have to say no or redirect because they don't know what's best. And because you love them so much, you desire to be in control of what they're doing. The environments they're in, the things that they watch, the things that they hear, the people they're around. Because you know better than they what's best for their life. I want to give you an opportunity this morning for him to be the prince of peace for you with every head bowed and every eye closed. Heavenly Father, uh, we just acknowledge in this moment that 
that Christmas can be a busy time. I've heard so many people say that this morning. Just got to get the house clean, got to get the presents, got to get this, got to get that. There's so many things that need to be done, and, and it can feel overwhelming. God, it, it, even in relationships, conflict and strife, it's amazing how all those things stir up right around this time of year. It reminds us, God, how much we need peace in our life. We need peace in our world. We need peace in in our nation. We need peace in our homes. And we need peace in our hearts. And so, Father, I pray, if there be one here today that needs to hand you the steering wheel, maybe they're already following you. Maybe they would say, I am a believer, but... But Pastor Andrew, I've realized today, Holy Spirit has helped me see that maybe I don't have both hands on the wheel, but I do have one. And I'm trying to to, to be in charge too much. God, reveal that to us. Please, Lord. God, I want to make this personal. Reveal it to me. Dear Lord, I want you to be the Prince of Peace. I just shared with everyone here the, the... the dark days I have been walking through. God, I am desperate for your peace in my life. So Lord, I pray that you would be sore in Andrew's life. And then God, I think about those that don't know you. Those that maybe don't have a relationship with you yet. God, this Christmas, the best gift they could give themselves is to know you as their Savior. I want to give them an opportunity to do that right now. Here's all you need to say. Just say it right there in your heart. Jesus knows your heart and he will come in right now. Jesus, I need peace. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I pray that you would come live in my heart. Jesus, I want to live for you the rest of my life. I want to know you as the Prince of Peace. If you prayed that prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just be so bold this morning as to slip your hand up? Slip it up high where I can see it. Slip it up, slip it up, slip it up. Beautiful. Beautiful. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together in your name. Thank you, God, uh, that you are multifaceted and that the longer we look at you, the more we can appreciate your beauty and brilliance. I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice that you would give them a great Christmas season. And Lord, that you would, uh, that we would know you as Emmanuel, God with us, God in our hearts, God in our lives, God in our day in and day out activities. Pray it on Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen.